You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Hey everyone, joining us today is Jordan Evans, head of sales for the US at Unibody. Jordan has held other senior sales roles in the past and he is our first guest who is also a professional soccer player. Thank you, Jordan, for joining us today. Thanks a lot for having me. Jordan, I know we caught up a little bit before before I hit the record button and you know, I wish I hit the record button earlier. That's some of my favorite parts of, parts of interviewing people. But for those that don't know who you are, who is Jordan Evans? Loaded question. So I guess from a professional perspective, perspective. Um, you know, I've, I've spent the last 10 years in the sales world, uh, mostly in the software sales world from the, the coveted SDR to a, um, you know, VP or, or U.S. head of sales positions off the, uh, the work field. I'm someone who tries to make sure that I abide by the work to live and not live to work ideology. And that doesn't mean that I don't like working. It means that, uh, I think people, especially in the sales world, um, try to, pigeonhole themselves into, you know, the, the end goals of what you're looking to do, which is make money. Uh, I think for me, it's about carving out what you want in life and trying to align that with your professional experience. So I'm, I'm learning every day and, and trying to figure out who I am. But uh, I think that question would probably change year over year. That's such an amazing answer and, and a great perspective to have, uh, especially since you're, you know, you're in a position where you can influence the the, the minds of so many folks, uh, especially especially aspiring you know, younger sales professionals that are looking to build a career. Uh, but but coming back to you, how did you get to where you are today? Right on on the one hand, you know, you mentioned that you went to school for anthropology and then you went off to play professional soccer. Uh, and here we are talking about, you know, what it means to be a sales leader. Uh, help us bridge the bridge the gap there. Yeah, so I, I went to University of Virginia. My, my final year in school, um, we were super fortunate to win the NCAA National Championship uh, in pretty epic fashion. And that was in and of itself uh, what I consider to be a pretty professional uh, experience. Um, I didn't get drafted in the MLS. Uh, I didn't go play for Manchester United, uh, although they do have a Jay Evans, Johnny Evans, who used to, <laughs> to be there. That's a sore spot for me. Um, and I kind of limped into professional soccer. Um, I signed a contract in the USL, which is the sub tier in the MLS. Uh, I played for a year uh, before realizing that um, that probably was not the career path I was looking to, to take over the next 10, 15 years if my body stayed totally healthy. Um, so I kind of limped in, um, literally by luck of the draw through another UVA graduate who basically gave me a shot as an intern, um, a very low paid intern in Washington, DC, where I learned how to basically make cold calls. This is at the spawn of LinkedIn. So we were basically figuring out how adding someone on LinkedIn might actually help you have a conversation with them. Uh, and that, that turned into, um, uh, a, a company called Concero, where uh, we were actually placing candidates, uh, young sales candidates, young salespeople um, for a company called Concero, which basically hosted events. I ended up kind of placing myself at Concero. And so I ended up spending a couple of years there really learning how to, to really refine the SDR role, which was, was really kind of like on the forefront um, of software companies. 
Um, I spent a couple of years there learning how to sell. I jumped up to New York uh, actually about eight years ago now. Um, I started uh, working for my first kind of true software company in the legal and financial world, uh, selling um, software to, to, to law firms and banks naturally. I found my real home, uh, the, the home I called for, for six years home um, at a company called Sports Recruits. Um, we connected athletes, uh, student athletes with universities. So basically what we did was we created this kind of sports LinkedIn where we helped students find the right fit based on athletics and academics. From a sales perspective, um, that was also a, a very early stage company when I joined uh, a handful of people max uh, that were actually there. We, we topped out at about 50 or so people. Uh, but I, again, I spent almost six years there really learning how to, to, to build sales structure, um, uh, learned how to, to, to kind of create a buyer cycle that was, that was predictable and repeatable. And then from there, uh, to fast track this whole answer, uh, I started at a new business um, in January of this year. Um, so uh, I, I only stayed there for, for about nine months. It was a company called Broker Genius. At Sports Recruits, I'd been promoted to the VP position. So I managed our sales and AM function there. I took that same role at Broker Genius, which is a series A business selling into the live event space. Um, that business um, was disrupted quite significantly by COVID and uh, they're still going, they're still, they're still strong and they've got some exciting pivots ahead. But um, I made the decision to, to move on to a company where it really actually felt like home again. We're connecting at Unibuddy as the US head of sales, we're, collect, we're connecting students to universities. So at Sports Recruit, spending almost six years learning that world, this is much different, but it's still within the same kind of realm of connection. And so, uh, you know, to bridge this 10-year gap post-soccer, um, I'm in my fifth week at Unibuddy, uh, and we're really excited to, to, to hopefully change this kind of peer-to-peer -peer engagement world from a, from a student perspective. That's, that's an incredible story. And, you know, it's almost like two parts to that story, right? Where, you know, your, your foray into athletics and wanting to pay, play professional soccer seemed like it was a, a strong choice. Um, and your entry into sales was almost a product of just time and circumstance to some extent where you kind of stumbled into it. Uh, and we hear a lot of that. But I want to dig into your, 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 your background as an athlete. Um, when did that start? And do you have any fond memories of, you know, your formative years as, 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 as wanting to become an athlete going all the way back to, back to high school? Uh, do you have any, any good memories or a good story about uh, why you wanted to play soccer professionally? I, I grew up a Manchester United fan. Um, last year, I actually got to have my first experience visiting Old Trafford, uh, the stadium that they play at so, in Manchester. Uh, it was really, really incredible. I grew up idolizing Ryan Giggs, an outside left midfielder. Uh, I'm a heavy left foot. My right foot does not work. You ask anyone <laughs> I played with. I also grew up idolizing Cristiano Ronaldo, which also now tells me how old I am because there are uh, teenagers that are direct from the U.S., Weston McKinney playing for Juventus who is now playing with Ronaldo. And that kid is 15 years younger than me. So to tell you how, how well Cristiano has kept his form and how much I have positioned myself is, is, is another, another story for another day. But I, I think I, I grew up wanting to play. I grew up in Southern Virginia. Um, they called us foot fairies. It was super derogatory, but basically they, you know, in Southern Virginia, it was football, like mm -hmm. American football or baseball 
or mm-hmm. basketball, right? And so my older brother had played soccer and that just happened to be something that I was much better at. I'm 6'4", so I, I had played basketball and volleyball until everyone else got a little taller than me and I was no longer the tall guy. So, you know, I, I found my sweet spot there. Um, my story ended in a really positive way from a collegiate perspective. We, mm-hmm. you know, my last collegiate game was the NCAA final and we won in penalties. Um, it was really, really epic. Yeah. Uh, jumping into the professional world w- was, was very rewarding. It was something that I'd always dreamed of to get a paycheck that was literally given to me because of the way that I kicked a ball. Um, was, was really exciting, but I also realized that, um, you know, my cap was probably, uh, pretty close to the top. And if I really wanted to grind through that, um, that first few years of carving it out, which Mm -hmm. many of my friends have done successfully, um, you know, it was going to be a long road and a lot of uncertainty. And for me, I really wanted to, um, figure out something that, that might be a little bit more stable. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I know stability is not always the, the, the coin term in a sales world, but, (laughs) Uh, it, it's something that I idolized. I had no experience even looking into um, the sales world, but I think that soccer, and just to kind of take this a step further, soccer, much like most team sports, created a world where sales was actually a little bit more natural than I thought it was. Mm. Um, if you can't tell, I like to talk. Um, but I also, you know, I also realized that I've been coached by a lot of different people from all over the world. Some mm-hmm. were super hard on me. Some were super uh, kind of like, coddling, but, and few and far between, but I realized that I never had issues with my coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was because I wanted to learn from them. I always looked at them as my superiors, the people that were going to teach me things I didn't know. And so naturally in a sales world, um, I think one of the biggest takeaways outside of a specific sports memory was that I'm pretty coachable. Mm -hmm. Like if you're younger or older than me and you give me something that I don't know, like, let me learn more about it. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways separate from like scoring the game winner in the 90th minute uh, or, or anything else that, that I would necessarily relate to the actual sport of soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, I'll add you to the list of uh, folks that have had a background in sports or was a student athlete um, and has also been very successful in sales. It's a bit of a stereotype, and I, but I do think that there's something to it uh, that student athletes or folks that have um, a background in sports tend to do well in sales. Uh, one of our, one of the partners of Ramp was also a swimmer at UNC, and he's probably been one of the most successful SDRs and AEs that I've met in my entire life, and I'm starting to see a pattern here. Another interesting thing that you did mention, though, was this idea or notion of stability. Um, and especially when it when it comes to sales, right? It's a bit rocky. Um, you've had the good fortune of having worked with a lot of coaches. And to some extent, I think that, you know, it is the responsibility or the job of a coach to guide folks through ups and downs. How have you managed to provide stability where it doesn't exist for your own sales teams or teach them about what stability means in sales. And just for the record, I've been laid off before. Like I know the ups and downs of, of being in a, in a sales environment um, and how sometimes you fall into a string of luck where you just can't be stopped. Sometimes you fall into a string of bad luck where you, you, you can't get started. I think stability, there's actually kind of a physical reality where I attribute stability to. I have metal in three of my four major limbs from surgeries. Uh, and I credit those to, to soccer injuries. And so I think from a stability perspective, it was also saying, 
hey, what's the longevity of what I can do here? If I eat, like, let's say the best case scenario happened. I got, I went to the Premier League. I signed <laughs> with Manchester United. I'm playing with them. Let's say I have a three-year career where I'm a starter. Mm-hmm. That's still probably not enough for me to just be done, right? The, the 1% of the 1% are the people who get to that who get to talk about like a sport being their life. So I think for me, the stability piece was, was, hey, I don't think my brain's going to cut out in eight years. I hope not. So, so let me see if I can apply that. I've got a degree from a school that, you know, people seem to appreciate. Um, I've, I've got a, a resume in sports to talk about. I just need an entry point. And so I think for, and, you know, I know that some of the things that we want to talk about today are, are how do we bridge that gap of that entry point? How do we make that entry point a, a wider net? Mm-hmm. Um, I think from stability, from, from sales teams alone, it's, it's weathering the storm. Like you're going to have a bad month, a bad quarter. You might have a bad year. You might get fired. You might leave a job. You might get promoted. There are so many things that are not like unstable mm-hmm. in a sales profession, but over the long game, if you're playing your cards right, you're doing what you can to learn and you're positioning yourself and putting yourself in positions where you just continue to learn. At some point, those things that are deep in your brain are going to come back to the surface. You're going to be like, wow, I'm really happy that I took the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not a finance guy, but I love metrics. Mm -hmm. I could not go past a CPA right now, but I do know how to, how to give my CEO the right KPIs that are going to, that he's going to deliver to the investors. I think, you know, to tie it back to, to getting started, I had no idea what a KPI was when I started. I had no idea what, what, what call metrics, what, you know, again, I mentioned this earlier, like LinkedIn, that was not a thing, but like, this was not, this was not $26 billion acquisition LinkedIn. This was, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is another network. So Mm -hmm. I think learning some skills and then just choosing to evolve with the times and learning what other people are doing, aligning yourselves with the people that do it better than you are how I've created at least a sense of stability, but it doesn't come without a rocky upward to the graph, right? It's good that you bring it in. That's a a very pragmatic way of looking at it. Um, One of the things that's important uh, to to have this level of awareness is recognition, right? If you don't recognize it, then you don't even have the, the baseline capacity to empathize because to be able to empathize, you have to recognize. And it looks like since you're recognizing it, you may be in a better position to empathize with your own sales team. But I want to dig into empathy a little more. And I think it's very relevant, uh, especially these days, because people have so many problems, man. I, I talk to you and we're, we're having this podcast. I don't know what else you're dealing with. And you may not know what else I'm dealing with. And yet here we are having a very discreet conversation about a discreet topic, knowing full well that in the background, maybe lurking other deeper you know, issues, concerns, how, what, what is your take on it? How are you working with your own sales team to, to be empathetic towards each other internally and also empathetic towards who they sell to, your, your customers and your prospects? I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's a piece of this podcast that could go on for hours. And I hope that with future sessions, that's something that you, know, you, you really dig into with everyone because I think that's a, a huge topic and area of interest. It's one that's blown up. People talk about, we're going to be, we're going to be empathetic to our customers, to our employees. Like empathy is such a overused word at this point right now. Um, particularly in 2021 where people might say I'm empathetic, but 
I'm not willing to understand that, you know, there's, there's an equality issue going on globally right now. There's a diversity issue going on globally right now. Capitalism in and of itself has major, major issues that it needs to unpack mm -hmm. um, for reasons that stem far beyond when we were alive. I think for me, it's about letting people know what you said. Like, I don't know you on a personal level. Um, you don't know me on a, on a truly personal level. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm five weeks into my job at Unibuddy right now, get, still getting to know my team, still getting to know the company. We are in three different offices across the globe in the UK and India. We don't know each other. Um, one of the things that I try to get out in front of that um, as it relates to people that I'm reporting to, people that are reporting to me, people that I'm working alongside, collaborating with different offices is make sure that, hey, everyone everyone is on the same page from a professional perspective, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And I would be willing to bet that every single person you've ever interviewed on a podcast we've ever interacted with has something that they are dealing with that they choose not to share in that particular conversation. And in fact, maybe the way that they're reacting to the things you're saying are deeply tied to like the trauma that they probably have that they've either been working on or not been working on, but either way it's there. For example, at Unibuddy, I actually was just asked to do a who am I um, to our, like we do a company-wide meeting on Fridays, mm -hmm. super quick, um, but they ask all new employees to do a who am I. What did I decide to do to make sure that everyone knows that like you can slack me at any point, we can talk about literally anything you want. I put in my who am I, the trauma that I've dealt with. And one of those pieces, which is a really like, it's a troubling thing is losing my dad um, about five years ago to suicide. This was an insane time in my life. This was the most traumatic piece of, of life that's ever come at me. I had all the support in the world from everyone that was close to me and that got me through. But I know I'm not the only one in the sales world that's dealt with a friend, family that's, that's, that's taken their own life or, or better yet, anyone that they've lost, right? It doesn't have to be some sort of like abrupt life change. Anyone that's, that's dealt with loss, uh, I imagine when you're this age, you've probably lost someone that you were close with. And so I think knowing that I don't have to tell that story to anyone else at the company now, but they know that when we're in a, a conversation digging into metrics or our CAC LTV or hiring plans or whatever the case is, that I'm going to give you respect. I'm going to listen to what you're saying. I'm going to take that to heart. And we can have a professional conversation as long as we know that at the end of the day, we're trying to get a singular job done. And if you know that there are certain kind of um, touch points that you want to, to, to be mindful of, you know, there's probably not a place in a conversation with me to joke about suicide. That's a, that's a, that's a big deal in my world. But I'm not, uh, but I, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable telling you that now that you already know that about me. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's a soft spot for me. It's not something I'm looking to like win pity points over. I'm saying that this is something that happened to me, but I'm sitting here compartmentalizing that because we are, we have an objective at hand. We're trying to get a result. We're trying to do something, create a better route to scale, whatever the case is. Um, and my team knows that about me. The SDRs, we call them UPEs in our world. The AEs, we call them UPMs. Like they know that. I've since had multiple conversations with people across the company that I haven't ever met in person mm -hmm. who then decided that they wanted to share their trauma with me. And I didn't ask them to do that. In fact, I would never ask them to do that. But the fact that we've gotten to that level, like 
tell me that another meeting, we can't come up with a solution. You know, like I think we've, we've hit that baseline. Mm-hmm. And so for me to exude the, um, like the empathy that I truly want to give, it's that you know that I'm willing to go any direction that you want within a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to hear that, Jordan. It's a deeply personal story to share. But I think what you've done in the process is is empowered others to open to sharing things. And in some ways, you've normalized talking about trauma and difficulty in life, which a lot of folks don't talk about, right? I mean, no one wants to talk about mental health. It's a topic that you don't want to touch, and yet it affects everybody. And especially, you know, sales leaders and business leaders, you have a very, you know, you put a different face uh, to work and then you say, this is work life and then home life is different, but that's simply not true, man. It's just life. You just happen to be at work uh, some days of the week and all of that is blended, right? I don't have a different personality and it took me the longest time and I, you know, battled with depression myself and it just took me a very long time to say, I am who I am. It is what it is. It's not, it's not going to go away when I show up in the office and I'm going to wear a professional front. I don't get it. And I wish that more people, and it's personal to share and it, it, it hurts to share. I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's not easy, but by doing it, you're making it a lot more acceptable and normalizing it for folks in your team to, to share as well. So, so thank you for doing it. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and it took me a while to be, you know, open about it myself. So I think it makes a whole world of difference. Makes a lot of sense. Tactically, though, let's say that you're on a call with a customer or a prospect these days. You know, what is the perspective that you folks take? Is this part of your? Is this part of a script? Can you can you coach this into people? Um, do you think empathy is coachable, or do you think you just need to have it in you? I think I, I think empathy is coachable, like to an extent. You you can teach someone how to listen. You know, you can teach someone how to listen and not respond back or, or how to listen, digest it, and then give you feedback or ask a follow-up question that is relatable to the, to the answer you just received. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can teach people to handle objections with empathy. I think you can, you can te- in particular, a salesperson, you know, if someone gets hung up on, if someone gets, you know, the no, the dreaded no, or the, or the even, even larger dreaded ghosting, like you can teach them to not take offense to that right? You can teach compartmentalization. I don't, I don't think that, like, I think there's more work to be done though. You can, you can give a baseline, you can give a framework for what you should do. But at the end of the day, I I think, you know, it, it kind of, for me, ties back to like the way that you hire. If we're bringing in, you know, eight new people in the next four months, which we are, Mm -hmm. um, the interview process is the, is more critical than the onboarding and the training to me. Everyone these days says they're coachable. Mm-hmm. Everyone says they're empathetic. Of course. Everyone says they're a hard worker. You learn a lot about someone if you get them to talk to all of your team. If you have a, a specific understanding of what you're looking for, I know that your resume does X, Y, and Z. Talk to me about uh, a tough time in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking that you share your deepest, darkest secrets, mm-hmm. but I'm asking that you don't say, well, the toughest time in my life was that million dollar deal that, that, you know, pulled the, pulled the rug out from under me last minute. Like we're not at a level that I'm ever going to want. Like, I I don't think that like, maybe some people can do this. I personally, if that's what you're going to reference, I'm not going to be able to get to the level of depth that I want for you to not only be able to communicate with me and our team, Mm -hmm. also with our customers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think it depends on the industry you're in. Like I can sit here and tell you how empathy is important. Like that just might not be, not that it's right. But right yeah. now, it's not as important to like, 
like a law firm that's looking for the most like, like hardcore litigator, right? Mm -hmm. That's just not how you get things done. Yeah. Not that I agree with that, but that's just the reality. Yeah. Um, I was, I was listening to a call with one of, I mentioned, I posted this on LinkedIn the other day and I don't post a ton. There's a you, uh, SDR of mine who was yeah. on the phone. He, he had scheduled this call and he's trying to find a time. It was last Monday. And he goes, oh, I don't know if you're working on Columbus Day. The woman corrects him and she goes, you mean Indigenous Peoples Day, right? Yeah. And I was just like, I lost. I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. Like, yeah. and he handled it well and he mm -hmm. apologized and she laughed and she said, yeah, we're, we're making this a thing now. And mm -hmm. I could not have, uh, like, I couldn't have been more excited mm -hmm. to hear our own potential customer mm -hmm. correct someone mm -hmm. about like the, the, the social justice, the unlearning, the unpacking of our actual history as a, as a country mm -hmm. um, and apply that into this capitalistic sales world where we're trying to get a university to, to effectively like sign up with us. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, that's a loaded question, a loaded answer to your question about, can you teach empathy? But I think like, it does depend what industry you're in. I think you can teach certain pieces of empathy, but then you have to let them run with it. Like yeah. you have to let someone, like if you're gonna hire someone, you need to know that there's a baseline understanding there. We've, had, we've eliminated a number of candidates over the last four weeks who we said, could they get the job done? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are they an A player? Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, do we think that they're gonna fit in with our company culture and the what we're trying to drive where you can be collaborative, you can be open, you can be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. No. And so even from our CEO, you know, who's, who's reporting to investors, we would rather take our time to find the right person who can exude empathy and exude vulnerability and apply that into being a, a badass salesperson. We would rather, we would rather wait and, and really continue our search on for the right fit. So I think you can teach certain pieces of empathy. I don't think that that's something that's like part of the onboarding session of how do we make this person empathetic? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, the empathy, like everything else in life, I don't think it's binary, right? I think it's uh, you can have various spectrums of it. Some people are, are, are truly empathetic in ways that um, can't be taught. And for others, I think you can teach elements of it, right? So I, I agree with you. It's not binary. Um, you can be somewhat empathetic, or you can be a lot empathetic or not empathetic at all. Um, and so to the extent that to the extent that you can teach elements of it, and quite honestly, practice it yourself, right? At the end of the day, if they don't see it coming from you or coming from your CEO, no matter what you teach them, it's not going to stick first. And the second thing is, which is the most interesting part of what you brought this up was the was highlighting the recruiting process. Unfortunately, a lot of early career recruiting, especially today, I don't think people treat it the way it should be treated. Um, and I've seen this at a lot of companies where it's like, it's a mill, let's get some people in. If they hit their metrics in 90 days, great. If not, churn and burn, let's bring the next person in. Because it's expensive and it's painful to have a recruiting process that's bolted out. out. And, um, and most companies are not doing it. But to your point, it really starts there. I, I know we're running out of, uh, out of time. I'll ask you one, one last question. Uh, you know, you've, you've had such a rich experience, varied experience um, with some ups and some downs. If you could go back in time and, and, and meet a version of yourself, maybe right after that last soccer game, uh, and you could give yourself one piece of advice uh, based on everything that you've learned so far, what would that be? We didn't prep for this one. So let's see if there's one piece of advice I could give my, to an earlier self. I think I'm, I'm going to tie this back to the, to the somber comment I mentioned. I think if I could give my piece, uh, myself one piece of advice, it would probably be um, 
you know, five, five and a half years ago before I lost my dad. And it would have probably been get started on fixing things now because change is coming. And so, you know, that's like a cryptic message to send to myself. But like, you know, I, I think like knowing that that part of my life is, is probably that that first two years post, you know, losing someone that you love abruptly, um, it, it changed like everything for me. Uh, it changed who I was. Um, I've had conversations with friends that basically say I'm a different person since then. And that's not self-aware or not self-aware. It's like, I started to focus on the things that were really important to me versus chasing what I thought ever, what I should be chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened because my dad passed and because I finally said, wow, I lost someone to depression who seemingly was, was happy and I didn't unpack how crazy things were in his life. So let me be, and this is a, this is a bold statement, but let me, let me start to be more selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, I think selfish, the word selfish is not inherently a bad term. Um, but it's about being self-aware that you are selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're not happy and, and internally motivated, but you're doing the things where you're trying to, to walk down a road that you think that you're not fit for, like, at some point that's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certain pieces in my life that I was walking down the, the wrong road um, in an abstract sense without diving into that. Yeah. Um, I think so. So to give myself the advice of um, start doing that work now uh, would probably be something that I, I would have loved to hear because for, for a period of about 24 months, I was, I was pretty lost. I was going through the motions. I was still working I took some time off, but I came back um, and sports recruits were the most, um, you know, fostering community of people during that time. But, um, but that, that was something where I definitely took a pause in, in all things life. Um, and I didn't really know where to start. So I think that would probably be a, an advice I'd give to myself. Yeah. I, I can't agree with you more. I've, I've found myself saying this to folks as well. I'm like, be selfish. And I don't think there should be a negative connotation. Uh, again, like everything else took me a while to, to figure that out. But at the end of the day, if you're not able to take care of yourself, address your own needs, wants, and desires, there's simply no way that you can meaningfully impact the lives of others, including friends and family around you. And I also don't think anyone can truly understand you. And this might sound messed up uh, when I say it, but I think people are best at understanding themselves. For the most part, I think if you really dig in, you know what you are and what you want. And it's super hard for somebody else to kind of solve your problems. And so uh, I agree with you. I think I, I've said that myself. And uh, this has been a fantastic discussion, Jordan. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And I'm sure folks that are listening to it will will find some wisdom uh, from, 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 from your experience. Uh, once again, really appreciate your time. Yeah, Manoj, thank you so much for having me. It was great, uh, great to be here. Yeah, likewise. Mm-hmm.